Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Tired of the grocery store? Looking to spice up dinners? HelloFresh delivers delicious ingredients and easy recipes straight to your door. Take $40 off your first box at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash fresh. You'll be enjoying cooking again in no time. Today we have a remarkable guest who's going to show us how there's an incredible intersection of smart business practices and environmental conservation. Suzanne Apple is the Senior Vice President of Private Sector Engagement for the World Wildlife Fund. Through this organization, Suzanne works with corporations to evaluate and implement sustainable business practices, while the World Wildlife Fund focuses their efforts on so many different areas, forests, oceans, food production, and more. Today, we're going to dive in and tackle efforts around preserving our forests. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here, Alexandra. Now, you currently work on a variety of issues with the World Wildlife Fund, but this isn't your first time working in timber, or as you mentioned to me earlier, the fiber space. Can you kind of tell a little bit about your background in that area? Yes, and actually, my background is not as much in the fiber space as it is really is in the timber, so you have it right. <laughs> I worked for Home Depot for 10 years, and in my role as head of our, um, our community practices and our environmental programs, one of, the, one of our key priorities was wood and wood products, because as you can imagine, at the Home Depot, almost every product has wood in it, whether it's paintbrush handles or lumber in the lumber aisles. So that actually is how I got to know World Wildlife Fund and worked closely with World Wildlife Fund on wood wood procurement and how we establish a new wood purchasing policy uh, for the home improvement sector. So you're right, my um, my work in the forest and my tromping around in the forest uh, date back to my days at Home Depot. What are some of their sustainability things that you got to champion or and basically go out and explore while working with them? Well, I think one of our biggest issues was around how we buy wood and not if we buy wood, because obviously at Home Depot, we had to have wood and wood products. Um, It was much more a focus on how we did it. And in fact, most of the NGOs and activists that we were working with didn't want us to pull out of buying wood. They wanted us to buy it responsibly. That is exactly the kind of thing that we do with companies as part at WWF. It really is about um, responsible business practices, whether it means how you use water and how you use energy or how you buy sugarcane for your product or palm oil or cotton or soy. And really, it's about responsible procurement. Obviously, your role at Home Depot led directly into World Wildlife Fund, but I'm curious, how did you transition from that company to the World Wildlife Fund? Well, it was it was an interesting journey because I left Home Depot and wasn't exactly clear, hadn't really decided what I was going to do, and WWF came to me and asked me to come work with them, and I said, well, what would I do? I have a finance degree. I have no, you know, I have no science background. And that they asked me to come in in the forestry team to help build public-private partnerships was because they had just gotten some a big grant from USAID 
and we're building out a network of uh, across the globe of companies that were committed to um, responsible purchasing of wood products. So it was it was an unlikely um, place for me. I felt like at the time. But I've now been there over 12 years, and it has turned out to be a place where I really could have an impact and work with people who really are the experts in this area and bring those experts and to our work with companies so that we can inform and educate each other. What a powerful mission and vision. Really blending business and environmental efforts to create the biggest impact out there. I love that work, and I'm very excited to go into what some of those collaborations and partnerships look like. But first, I was hoping that you could share a little bit about what's currently going on in our forests. Well, I think our forests are at high risk today. Um, If you have followed the news at all, um, you've read recently, I'm sure, of all the fires in Indonesia and Southeast Asia where they're burning the forest to clear them to make, um, make way for palm oil plantations and other high value commodity products. You can't even go outside because the smoke is so bad. And there's been a number of stories in the news recently about about this issue. Not only is it causing air pollution, it's destroying the natural forest. Uh, Many of the companies that we work with and beyond the ones we work with have made commitments around eliminating deforestation in their supply chain. Companies recognize that if they're buying natural goods and services on the on the uh, particularly uh, commodities um, in the marketplace, that they want don't want to incent the destruction of natural forests. So making sure they safeguard against that by adopting certification, certain certification schemes and working with local um, producers to ensure that they're using land that's already been forested, for example. But there's a huge issue, particularly in places like Southeast Asia, Eastern, um, Eastern Russia. Um, certainly the Amazon has been at risk for some time in those forests. So there's a real focus in developing countries on how we protect these natural forests and sustain them while, while can, continuing to produce the goods and services that we all need and the food particularly that it takes to feed the planet. Obviously, we don't have a lot of control or influence on what happens in countries like Russia. So how do we help kind of influence policies or business practices in other countries? Well, we are a global network, WWF, and so we have offices in many of these other countries. Um, and so we will we will approach that two ways. One, we will work directly with the government and the natural resource management um, agencies in each one of those countries and with the regulators and policy leaders to look at things like the forest code in Brazil and the laws around forestry and forest practices in China and Russia. Um, so we'll take a policy view, but one of the most powerful pieces of this work is the work we do with companies because if companies are 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 sourcing from those regions and they put in responsible procurement practices and policies that they are implementing in these countries, that demonstrates the commitment and proves the value to the company to the countries and provides us a different additional leverage. They actually will, in fact, often um, go to the governments with us to uh, make the case for responsible procurement and and enforcing local laws and regulations around forest protection. Leveraging business to create change. 
It's brilliant. And it sounds like that's one of the leveraging pieces that you guys have used to actually create momentum in change. It has. It's been one of a, since we reorganized around a new strategic plan almost 10 years ago, really engaging the market to affect change um, and to affect policies, practices, and places has been a key priority for us. And and we've seen the benefit of that. We've seen the market shift to increase in certified product. We've seen companies make big changes in their practices, all while continuing to be profitable and successful. So sustainability and good business can go hand in hand. A bit of a tipping point, if you might. <laughs> yes, particularly in certain commodities. Absolutely. So obviously the companies that you're talking about, they're just not blindless, evil corporations out there. They're real people who are committed to creating change. Can you tell us about some of the companies or who they are that are really spearheading this with you? Well, I think we're working with a host of companies. Um, we, uh, ten, about eight or 10 years ago, we identified 15 commodities that were our priorities. And we looked at the major buyers of those commodities. And we said, you know, who is big to these commodities and who are these commodities big to? And how do we engage them in these issues? One great example is the Coca-Cola company. We were working with them on water, as water is a key ingredient to all of their products. But also sugar is a key ingredient. And sugar is one of the thirstiest crops. So we worked with Coca-Cola to engage them in the Better Sugar Cane Initiative, which was an initiative we were part of and helped organize to set standards for sugarcane certification globally that would in, in, ensure environmental, social, and, environment, and, and economic um, criteria and really address some of the environmental impacts of sugar production. Coca-Cola joined that um, coalition, participated in it, and then as the first sugar came out to the new standard, which was called Bon Sucre Standard, Coke actually made the first purchase on the open market of certified sugar to send a strong signal to their to their suppliers and to the market that they were interested in responsibly produced sugar. That's a really good example of where we've worked closely with one individual company. We've done the same with a number of companies on palm oil, whether it's the the companies like Procter and Gamble and others who use it in their products or Cargill who are who are sourcing it and trading it as a global trader again sort of helping them develop responsible policies around palm oil so that they manage the risk associated with that have the security of supply but are are being consistent in in how that production and their procurement of that production impacts the environment Incredible. I mean, particularly Coca-Cola, I don't necessarily, when I think of their soda products, think of all the other factors that are impacting the environment through purchasing a soda. It's great to hear that they were out there and that they sent that message on the floor when they bought those products. Now, when you're going to these companies, what was that initial conversation like to get their buy-in, to get their support and get them to go to those meetings with the governments with you? Obviously, the companies in operating their business, one of the key, key, key principles they review and plan for is risk. And risk management is, is something that it, when you're a commodity-driven company, whether it's a sugar-driven or you're even dealing with water, uh, you ha you're always looking at your, your risk factors. One of the things that makes this a productive discussion when we talk to the companies is they're looking at a security of supply. They're looking at whether it's wood or paper or sugar or 
soy or palm oil or cotton, if those ingredients go into their products, they want to know where that's coming from and how it's sourced. So they're taking this long-term view. So they have as, they have as much interest in ensuring there are those products for the future as, as we do. And they certainly want to make sure that we can continue to grow and produce those, those products. So the environmental and social responsibility that they accept as the purchasers ensures the integrity of the source and ensures, helps them manage their risk. Further proving the point that these environmental and sustainable efforts really do intersect with positive business practices. Yep, that's right. So you mentioned 15 different commodities and you've touched on a couple, including palm oil and sugar. What are some of the other ones that you guys set that initial focus on? Um, we've done a lot of work around um, wild-caught seafood and farm-raised seafood. So that's obviously a big impact on the oceans. Um, fisheries are one of the biggest um, uh, sort obviously wild-caught fisheries are one of the biggest sources of fish for not only uh, developed countries, but particularly in developing countries where it's a major source of protein for those populations. And, and in moving some of that uh, wild-caught to farm-raised, there's a whole new host of uh, impacts that have to be evaluated and, and some sort of standard set. We worked very closely with to set up aquaculture standards on how aquaculture is, is managed on the ground to ensure that those are we're minimizing those environmental impacts. So both farm-raised and wild-caught seafood, um, I mentioned cotton, I mentioned soybeans and palm oil. Beef is another huge one. Um, beef, have, beef and beef livestock production has a huge impact on the planet. Uh, and we are working to, we've helped set up the Global Roundtable on Sustainable Beef with partners like McDonald's and JBS and Cargill and others to help identify ways to produce beef more sustainably, reduce the impacts and ensure that the beef is not having as, as much negative impact in this production process. There's some pilots going on right now for that project in Western Canada. So back to some of the different areas that you touched on, uh, particularly seafood. What are the environmental impacts, those negative consequences from the farmed fish that you were talking about? Well, there's a number of them, and I'm certainly not the expert on it. But, you know, often land is cleared to provide the, the catfish ponds or whatever, the tilapia ponds and all of the, the, the aquaculture production ponds. So that becomes an issue. Um, there are waste-related issues, obviously the, the feed and waste, so any fertilizers that are used and the food, how that impacts with runoff. So there are a huge number, almost like any other uh, farming impact, water that's used, fertilizer, um, and, and then any runoff that happens as a result of that. So it's much like you would address any farm, farm race product. A lot of the environmental changes and different issues that we've touched on really take innovative solutions to maintain that integrity between still providing an outlet for business and to make money while preserving conservation efforts. In tackling all these variety of issues, can you share some of the innovative or just really creative solutions that you guys have helped implement? Well, I think um, the innovative solutions have often come through bringing um, unlikely partners together. I think that one of the roles we can play is as a convener. And so when you can bring together the producers of a product, the purchasers of a product, the middleman, um, and and really bring bring them together around the table 
to identify the key criteria that they could set that we could all agree to. I think that innovation alone has been huge because most of these people think they have nothing in common. You know, the cattle ranchers and the environmentalists don't think they have anything to talk about. And when you can bring them together and say, look, we actually have more in common than we than we think, and we don't have to agree on a hundred things that need to be fixed. We can do, we can identify the top seven, five to ten that that are the most important and set standards around those so that we're getting at 80% of the problem. And and so I think part of the innovation has been the convening and the dialogue that's happened in these multi-stakeholder engagements. And then what results from these, many of these companies working uh, together in these standards is they learn from each other. So there's been a tremendous amount of innovation um, and shared learning about how they set standards, how they track it. You know, I think a lot of uh, innovation has been done around the reporting and tracking. Um, one of the things we've loved to see is the big, bold commitments that companies are making. I mentioned earlier the Consumer Goods Forum and those companies that made a commitment around eliminating deforestation in their supply chain. That is an incredibly bold commitment because that's not easy to do. And most of them, when they made the commitment, weren't sure how they were going to do it. So, but as part of CGF, they're, they've made the commitment together and are figuring it out together and piloting different things. So it's the cross-learning, it's the shared ideas, um, it's the pre-competitive nature of this work. Big, bold commitments. That's exactly where change happens is where you say to the world, yes, stake in the ground, I'm doing it. I'm going to figure out how on the way. That's <laughs> there's, right. There's a lot of parallels with entrepreneurism right there. Or you can go back to John Kennedy saying we were going to put a man on the moon and we had no idea how we were going to do that. So apparently that's how we make change or, you know, tackle space in the world today. That's right. I grew up in Idaho and I lived in Montana for five years. So I just have this vision of these ranchers and farmers sitting down at the table with environmentalists and possibly the five minutes of awkward silence at the very beginning how did you get buy-in from some of these little guys? Because they're not these big corporations who have a heavy stick. You know, this is their day-to-day, -day, their livelihood. This has been passed down for generations. What was that conversation like? Well, one of the things that I think that we've done really well is we've brought in a lot of people whose backgrounds are relevant to this work and whose training and experience is relevant to this work. We have a fabulous woman named Nancy Labby who lives out in Montana and she was she's born and raised on a ranch and she and her husband have a ranch and she knows these people. Um, and if she doesn't know them today, she knows people just like them. And so they are her friends and her neighbors and the people she sees at the grocery store. And so she has been really invaluable and in real in doing exactly what you just described, Alexandra, going out and sitting down with the ranchers and having the, the conversation and having it be a conversation. I think the thing that we really are committed to as WWF is that we're really coming to this as seeing business partners as part of the solution um, and not attacking it, um, not attacking them and not taking it as a, a, as a negative approach, but more, we can do more together than either of us can do alone. And, and I think coming at it, looking for a solution is a new approach as opposed to, demands and criticisms 
but engagement is a much stronger, we, at least in our experience, exchange was a much stronger strategy. Well, let's be honest, in any social issue, understanding not only the problem you want to solve, but the factors that play into it, that's key. Right, right. And I often, and I often say about our work with business, um, one of the things that we have done pretty consistently um, across the board is we've walked in each other's shoes. So, you know, we've toured Procter & Gamble plants and Coca-Cola plants and we they've walked with us in the forest and they have been out to see what's happening in Indonesia, Procter & Gamble in particular. Yeah, um, I really learned that um, and practiced that in my days at Home Depot. Um, it was really interesting because when we were engaging with some of the NGOs and they were they were telling us about what was going on and they said, well, come see it come see what's going on. And so we did. We went to go see what was going on and saw helicopter harvesting and clear cutting and all the things that were going on, particularly in Western Canada. And then we said, well, come see what we're dealing with. And we took them into a Home Depot store at six o'clock in the morning when product was being delivered and, and builders and contractors were lined up to buy a product. And we were trying to stock the shelves and change the, you know, we used to joke and say we were changing the the wheels on the car going 80 miles an hour so that they could understand what our reality was. We understand, understood their reality. Now, how do we bring these two in alignment so we can, we can take what we've learned from you, but you can understand the business challenges we have in making some of these changes in real time. That must've completely changed the way both of you guys approached every aspect of your relationship and your partnership. It really did. Um, and I often say people ask me, um, you know, what what makes this what makes this kind of work work? And much like you said, sort of how did you how did you bridge that gap? How did you get together? At the end of the day, it's about people and it's about people who are seeking to understand each other and each other's position. And the power of people is huge. And I love the day when we are when we are with our partners, whether we are in a conference room or whether we're out taking a tour somewhere. But you suddenly look around and think these aren't divided into the representatives of the company and the NGO. We're just a group of people who care about this and care about doing the right thing and are finding and shaping shared goals, a common mission, work we can do together that that happens to meet the needs of our institutions, but we share that, we share that as people. Wow. That's it. That's in a nutshell, how you actually go about creating social change. Yeah, it is. Obviously, palm oil is a huge point of issue for environmentalism with the fires going on in Indonesia and other areas. What are some solutions that you guys are looking to implement right now to help limit the environmental effects? Um, they range, the solutions on palm oil range from working with the big procure, procurement groups, companies that are, that are creating the market for palm oil to, to adopt responsible procurement practices, um, working with the local governments to enforce the policies that they have around deforestation um, and land use and degraded lands working with the producers on the ground to educate the farmers on how they can can still 
farm and, and produce a product, but do it in a responsible way and that there's a market for that. Um, and then I think it is, it, you know, it, it boils down to some of the more traditional conservation efforts we have uh, in Borneo and Sumatra, where we have a protected area of forest in the Tessanilla National Park, and where it's a huge habitat for rhinos and tigers. And we have something called Eyes on the Forest, which is a um, infrared camera system in the forest to make sure that we we initially installed it to track line, the tiger count and the rhino count so we could could focus on the wildlife in that in that particular protected area the the um unattended consequence was we actually got on film illegal loggers who were farming in the who were logging in the national forest and cutting down land and and trying to um sell the logs and also create land that could be uh, farmed so we, it was an unintended consequence for us, but one that, that gave us a lot of leverage and, and provided a way for us to provide protection for a place like a, a protected area, natural protected area. Unintended consequence, but win for you guys. This is the thing that we're trying to protect against. Gotta love That's that right. extra fuel in your argument. That's right. Absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned was responsible procurement. What does that even look like? Um, well, I think it means, um, to us, it means first and foremost, knowing where your products come from, whether you're sourcing, whether you're a retailer sourcing products or you are a uh, consumer products company sourcing ingredients for your products. So it's understanding where your products come from. It's ensuring that what you're getting is legal and complies with local laws and regulations, both where it's produced and in the United States. So, for example, when you're getting illegal logs or illegal, um, pro illegally produced palm oil, um, you know, that puts your or company at risk. And then it's setting some standards around around what what you want your standards to be. So, for example, in sticking with the forest example, um, there are a number of forest certification standards around the world. We happen to think the Forest Stewardship Council standard is the gold standard. So, we often take a stepwise approach to say, know your sources, make sure they're legal, and then identify a standard that would give you the assurances you need that this is responsibly, comes from a responsibly managed forest and is responsibly harvested, and then set your targets to shift your supply to that, to products certified to those standards and to those suppliers that can give you that. Talk about a basic knowing your sources, make sure they're legal. Right. I mean, it's pretty fundamental stuff. I mean, <laughs> but you'd be, you'd be surprised 10 years ago, 20 years ago in particular, when I was working at Home Depot, you'd ask some companies where the wood came from for their doors or windows or their, and, and some of the people couldn't answer where it came from. They were buying a lot of wood on the open market, so they didn't know where it was coming from. You think about the world today most people want to know particularly where their food comes from, how it's produced. Um, the world is a different place today, um, but the fundamentals haven't changed. Knowing, knowing where it comes from and knowing it's legal is, are the first two steps. And those are pretty basic steps. Absolutely. Before jumping into the rapid fire, a quick resource and tool for you as you grow your business. One of the most challenging things out there can be around branding and marketing and really telling your story in a way that resonates with customers. 
To help, we've built a comprehensive ideal customer worksheet to help you walk through all the different steps in identifying your customer. Download your free copy at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash branding. Hang out with us there and you're also going to find information about a brand new branding guide for young businesses, all giving you the tools to make that positive impact in your business. And now for that rapid fire. Life is a balance of work, passion, and adventure. Can you tell us about a recent adventure or excursion you've gone on? Well, I've had two recent adventures. Um, one, uh, I don't happen to have any children, but I have nieces and nephews that I'm really close to. And I went to Parents Weekend at my nephew's boarding school recently, which um, was an opportunity for me to spend time with him in his life, in his place, and to see the impact that it was having on him and his education. Um, that was really, from a, from a life balance standpoint, a way for me to stay really connected to my family, which is important to me, especially since I travel a lot. The other one was a recent trip I took um, to a number of our European offices. We have colleagues all over the world in 100 different offices, and I spend time in our European offices, and it's always good for a, a valuable experience for me to not only build those relationships, but it's back to what I said earlier, walk in their shoes and understand the challenges they have working in their countries and in their offices. So many ways to balance the conversation between family and global conversations and culture. And I have to say, I'm a brand new aunt, and I love that your example was going and spending time with nieces and nephews, because someday I'll be able to do that with my little niece. I really, and you should, because I make it a priority. And it's, I always figure, you know, we can be the wonderful aunt, and we can be the wonderful aunts that they're going to want to take care of us when we're old. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be an awesome aunt. If my sister-in-law is listening, Lisa, watch out. I'm going to be aunt of the year someday. Working on it. (laughs) (laughs) You can send my medal to, you know, my address. Moving on. (laughs) Many social entrepreneurs find solace and tranquility in the outdoors. Have you found that to be true in your work? Absolutely. I think um, I grew up in the southern part of the United States spent a lot of time outside. Um, The outdoors is really important to me, especially um, when I can be on the water. Um, The water is really um, an important calming influence on me. I spend a lot of time in Louisiana where I have family and friends, and I feel like we practically live outside there. Um, The other thing, the other place that is special to me are the mountains. Um, I find great solace and strength in the mountains, and I think Um, nature is a great teacher and, um, a great guide. And I think everyone should spend as much time as they can to renew and recharge and, and nature teaches us a lot. Nature really is a great guide. That was just a very powerful sentiment. I love it. Can you describe a time when you were able to have boots on the ground and actually see the impact of your work come to life? Oh, there's so many. Um, I'm happy to say. Um, I think probably the, one of the very best ones was going to traveling for the first time to Mozambique and going up to Lake Nyasa, where we were doing uh, work on Lake Nyasa, which is one of the largest freshwater lakes in, in Africa. And this was work that we were doing with the Coca-Cola company. And we took a team up to see this work. Much of the work was educating the villagers on safe fishing practices because 
they were overfishing the lake with, they were using mosquito nets instead of uh, fishing nets and overfishing the lake. And we were working with them to educate them on the benefits of not overfishing and helping, they identify, helping them identify other sources of revenue and, and income to support their families. Um, the trip alone was just amazing. We flew into Maputo, which is the capital of Mozambique, and then took a small plane up to a place called Lachinga. We drove to a, to a tiny town called Metangula, and where there was a tiny little WWF office, and we were supposed to take a boat across the lake to the to the site where we were going to stay, and it was too rough. The weather was too rough, so we drove two and a half hours through a riverbed. Um, with villages on each side as the sun set in Africa and Mozambique and arrived at this beautiful, um, it, it was a, it was run by the Swiss ambassador's wife and she had set up a lodge with four little huts and a central dining room on the lake. And it absolutely took your breath away. In fact, in my case, it brought tears to my eyes because to think that I was associated with anything that was helping protect and preserve this place just um, touched me at the core. And it was a profound moment. And I had to walk away because I was so overcome. But I later learned that the lead, uh, my colleague from Coca-Cola who was with me, had the exact same experience and had to walk away. So we, we have shared that. And it's something that is um, a really unique um time and, and a shared opportunity and, and um, that we have, that we have, we share in common, which is really wonderful. I'm getting chills. <laughs> it was an incredible time. Wow. What has been one of your most meaningful and proudest accomplishments working on all these environmental issues? I think the thing that has been the most meaningful for me is being this bridge, is serving in a role with an organization like WWF where I can be a bridge um, between the NGO community and the corporate sector and really understanding how to play, how to add value in that space and 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 facilitate that discussion and bring the right resources to tape to the table when often they start off speaking very different languages and finding the commonality is not always easy and and often we start on very very firmly on opposite sides of the table but the success comes when you watch people evolve and watch their thinking evolve and um I would go back to my example about Coca-Cola and Lake Nyasa. The very person who was moved to tears in that place four years before did not see the value of this partnership to Coca-Cola, thought it was a waste of time, wasn't sure why he was working on it, and had gotten so engaged in this work and seen the impact of what we could do together to protect freshwater resources around the world that he was transformed, as we all were. And to see how this work transforms people and places and passion and commitment is, um, is probably the, the most bright shining moment for me in the work. Those are incredible moments and true testaments 
to the success and the strategy that World Wildlife funds to achieve their ultimate vision. Yes. Along those same lines, do you have advice for somebody who's working for an organization and from within that organization in an entrepreneur role wants to start creating movements towards change? Do you have anything, any advice for them to kind of lead up and champion in a cause from within an organization? I think it's so interesting because I think so many people think that they have to leave an institution or organization um, to find new opportunities or to affect change. And there's so much opportunity within organizations. I often encourage people break out of the role that you're in and try new things. You know, even if you're in an existing role, you can look at it differently. You can add new value. You can add new dimensions to your to your work. It's that same tenet of walking in each other's shoes. Talk to everyone and more importantly, listen to everyone. I think everyone loves to talk about what they do and everyone loves loves to help solve problems. So bringing um, the right people together to innovate, um, to find opportunities, um, to find like-minded people. I think, you know, to find your passion, whether you're in a place now and you want to, to, to sell an idea through the organization or you want to start an, a start an organization or start an idea, it's really finding that intersection for you about your interests and your skills and your passion and then bringing people to that cause. Um, if you care, it means you'll achieve more and do more and often that caring is contagious. Break out of the role and bring the passion to life through your job. Killer! That was great. So when people are looking to do that and really break out of the role, do you have a book that you recommend to individuals? So one book that we that I have used, we used in some leadership training and I have used and shared with others. I think I bought a whole box full of them and gave them away. Is called Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. It's by the Arbinger Institute, and it's a great collection of stories about how people have learned to think differently by getting out of the box and about sort of who they think they are and who they really are and who they really can be. It, it's about how to um, change lives and transform organizations. It's a really easy read, but I actually don't know anyone who hasn't read it that hasn't had a big aha moment. I love easy reads, especially when they're, you know, coinciding with big aha moments. Is there a mantra or a motto that really guides your work forward with WWF? Yes, and I think this, there is. And it's something that has guided my life for a long time, um, dating back to Home Depot and even before that. Um, I love a quote that Margaret Mead is known for, which is, never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think that that is such, it's, it rings, it was true when she said it, and it rings true today. If you look, whether it's geopolitics or environmental movements or entrepreneurs, people can change things. Um, and, and it doesn't take a lot. It can be a few people, and it's powerful. And I think we all need to be reminded of that. And we so do. So to those individuals or to those small groups that are really going to go out and spearhead change, do you have a tip that they can implement starting today that helps make a positive impact, particularly on the environment? 
Well, my first tip would be if you're going out to do something, don't assume everyone knows where no, it, don't assume everyone is where you are. Um, you've, if it's something you care about and something you want to focus on, uh, you've gotten there on your own journey and you have to lead other people to that same place. So, uh, listen, learn, teach, bring people with you and do it in a way that they feel as much ownership as you do, that it's not about you, that it's about their fingerprints on it too, and share the solution. Suzanne, thank you so much for bringing us on this journey with you today. How do people learn more about the World Wildlife Fund or get connected with you in their efforts? They can visit our website, uh, worldwildlifefund.org, um, and, and we have lots of information about all our work with companies. If you go to the section on corporate engagement, um, you, will, you can link to me. I'm at um, suzanne.apple at wwfus.org. And um, there's my profile's on there, and you can send me a message to the website. So um, thank you, Alexandra, for the time and for the, the wonderful conversation. Um, it gets me renewed and recharged for the work I do. So thank you. Well, that is what we hope to do here at the Positive Impact Podcast. So excited to hear it. I hope you enjoyed that in-depth look at all the different issues that the World Wildlife Fund is championing, especially the way that they are intersecting positive business practices with environmental efforts to create the most change. If you want to learn more about all the efforts that the World Wildlife Fund is champion, head on over to our show notes page at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash WWF. We're going to have some incredible photos on there. If you were sold on that book description that Suzanne gave of leadership and self-deception getting out of the box, head on over to positiveimpactpodcast.com slash goodreads for your free audio download thanks to Audible. Until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.